0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Worcester Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Knaff. This podcast is presented by Kelleher and Sadowski. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by two titans of our industry, the first of whom is Phil Simone, the Executive Vice President here at Kelleher and Sadowski. Phil, welcome to the program. Yeah,
1: happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. We are also joined by Ted Finerty of Leggett McCall Properties, the premier uh, Project management company in Boston. So, Ted, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and to be in your offices here, at Keller and Sadaski. Well, welcome to you
0: both. Leggett McCall is what you all do, what the industry is all about.
2: Sure. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, love being in uh, the KA offices and seeing such smiles amidst uh, uh, what otherwise is a, a tough time. Uh, at Leggett McCall, we are a 60 person firm that. Uh, serves a greater Boston into Worcester to Northeast area. Um, We range from a group of 60 people that has 20% in the principal side of the business, which is in our uh, investing financing side. The other 80% is in development management. So that could be from advisory to uh, commercial interior project management to complex uh, development projects. Uh, that might span five, six, ten years. Um, so I, you know, it's as we mentioned uh, in conversations leading up to this today. Um, there's an abundance of overlap from firms like ours and sure. firms like yours, and, yep. and how to help support uh, each other's types of clients uh, through a life cycle of a project and finding the right space and um, thinking how to occupy in that space, uh, and ultimately. Uh, performing the work to get into that space. Um, so we, we love working with you and, and love the opportunity to be here today. Thank you. Absolutely. So I'm curious to hear what the
0: breakdown is as a percentage of how, how, what's the proportion of your clients that are office tenants? What's the proportion of, say, life sciences or warehouse? How does that all break down?
2: Sure. Uh, from a sector basis and a and broad stroke perspective, um, you know, we, we have a strong, Family residential side of the business. Um, You know, we have a strong healthcare side of the business uh, that does work in medical office buildings as well as ambulatory centers. Um, We have a strong corporate and corporate interior business that might serve um, the legal industry or biotech to uh, healthcare tech to um, advertising. from a life science lab perspective, that's another large section of our business uh, and as well as institutional academic. Um, so, you know, from a, a segments perspective um, you know, we really continue to spread the gamut, whether it's on a purely advisory perspective and, and a higher level as well as a development and complex and, you know, large scale long-term project to a fast pace really need to get moving, get in there. Um, and in this pandemic, what we've, what we found is a lot of clients want to understand how they can use their existing space and get people back into right. their space. Um, so we found a, there's a lot of support that's needed in conversations around how to go back to work amidst this COVID pandemic. I'm real curious to pick your
0: brain on how companies, how tenants can best navigate returning back to the workplace in the middle of the pandemic. Cause unfortunately we're not quite out of this yet before we get to that. Phil, I I know you and Ted go back quite a ways throughout a a variety of capacities, but I'd be interested to hear in your career as a broker, what's been your approach to project management? How can you best use folks like Ted and his team for your clients, to help your clients? First of all,
1: um, thanks for having us today, and I'm super happy to be at Kellyn Shadowski. Uh, As you know, I joined just a few weeks ago. And, uh, it's been a tremendous experience already. And we're, we're Andrew Sherman and I are really happy to be here. Um, Good yeah, we, yeah, thank you. And so, uh, I've known Ted for several years when I was at my previous firm, we worked together and then, uh, he went and worked for, uh, Leggett McCall properties and the having a project manager is like having a right hand man all the time, yeah. right, right next to you. So, um, I can't stress enough to my clients that they should have a project manager in early and to help understand and help shape the vision of what they want for space, what they want for an environment, where they want to be. Um, All those things, you know, a project manager really helps them understand. Everywhere from the sort of visioning session to the move-in, and, you know, and there's a lot that goes into that. So, you know, some of our clients will have a project manager join sort of halfway in sometimes that's maybe a little bit too late yep. because what they've helped us do is again help define the objectives help understand what the schedule would be help understand what the budget is and so oftentimes ta- help understand you know what the base building is what the landlord's delivering to them you know where is their uh, work stop and the, and the tenants the start right oftentimes as you know there's a uh, tenant improvement allowance and so what does that mean? You know, yep. what, do you, what, what can fit into that tenant improvement allowance and the amount of money that's above, above that, that the tenant pays for, you know, how does that all work? So um, we had a lunch and learn here today. And Ted had a great slide, which um, he should probably describe. Um, <laughs> and I, I really like it because when they get in early, it reduces the time of the project and reduces the cost significantly. Right. So, so we, uh, we enjoy working with project managers. And we've and worked with Ted in the past. So,
0: so when, when you're discussing with clients the potential value Ted and his team can bring to the table, H- how do you go about pitching that? And what's, what's sort of been the best way to convince clients that there is a huge potential for them yeah. to, to take his team on? I
1: guess we, we, we try not to convince them but try to – uh, help them understand where all the pitfalls are yep. and and all the issues around a, a potential move, a, re- a relocation. What does that in, really involve and who at their company is going to be spearheading that? Right. And who, what is the team that they have? Oftentimes they ha- they may have a team that has done this 20 times. Most of the time someone's doing it that has never done it before, yep. right? But they're assigned to it. And so so you look at all the facets of a relocation from, again, the vision to, to the move-in and help them understand those things that they need to start thinking about now. And that, that resonates and they start to say, okay, I, I'm not sure I have those capabilities and they understand what the risks associated with those are. So uh, we want to talk about how we use them. And, yep. and oftentimes it's not the whole process. It could be part of the process, which I think can, Ted can, can talk about. But um, So it's a matter of helping them understand what the risk and reward is.
0: You mentioned pitfalls. I'd be curious to hear from both of you, given your breadth of experience, in in the course of a project, are there common curveballs that you know that the, the the client might not be thinking through? Are there surprise surprising cost <laughs> drivers that yeah. folks should probably think of? Uh, before they get involved in these yeah. in-depth projects?
1: So, he, he, so because Ted has so much experience, he can give you a million of those. <laughs> um, but I think the probably the main two or three, one is over-designing space. Okay. Right, so over-designing space and w- without the budget to pay for it is probably one. Schedule is probably another one where, you know, oftentimes uh, clients will... You know, start thinking about their relocation, not in enough time. So you have to yeah. understand what that means to schedule, and and then the third one is probably just the you know the construction piece. There's, things always happen in a construction project. I don't care how much you know due diligence you do. I'm not and and what kind of construction drawings you have. Things are going to happen, and so and some of those can be pretty costly. So. Those are sort of the general, the, the three, but I'm sure Ted
2: has some you know, war stories that he can share with us. <laughs> so a uh, way of thinking about it to be slightly confusing even for a se- uh, maybe sure. 10 seconds yeah. is in, in our world, you're often thinking about the known unknowns and the unknown, unknown unknowns. Right. And so w- in the leasing environment, what's most helpful from the K&A perspective of how to think about project management is how are you really thinking of answering some of the known unknown answers and how are you preparing the client to be available or adjustable or a different way of describing that is contingency, whether it's schedule and time or whether it's construction dollars and, and, and uh, you know, hard cash, um, so that you can still be prepared for those unknown unknowns that will inevitably pop up on any schedule of, of a project. Uh, so it is, you know it's a it's a very important aspect of the beginning part of an entire life cycle for a transaction to understand how to support and support the client support your brokerage team in understanding what those known unknowns could be yeah and your brokerage team will come to the table and Phil will come to the table and he knows a lot of them. He's been around a lot of them sure. you, you ultimately know a lot of them and when you sit and think together as a team of what this particular client might have. Then, just the nature of that collaboration allows for the two of us or the three of us to come up with a few more yeah uh, and those few more, as you look at the specifics of a, a lease um, work letter or the specifics of a negotiation across a couple of buildings those those additional uh, pieces of information ultimately help drive real dollars and real uh, assistance to the right. lease process um, so yeah are there millions there are, Sure. There, are, Of course there are millions. Nah. Uh, there are a lot of um, components that might come up and the, the best part of that is how do you help hold a hand? How do you help navigate? How do you help still maintain comfort through that process that your team, your real estate team and brokerage and project management understands and an- expects, anticipates those things to mitigate that risk early right. uh, and, and yeah. through the process that we do together. And, you
1: know, what I've found is that it's also specific to particular buildings, right? So each sure. you know we could say that generally these are the things, but um, until you select a building or buildings, you can't define some of those risks, right? It could be uh, because the building is older. It could yep. be the way the space is was before the landlord's going to deliver it. It could be the contractor that they typically use. It could be, you know, whatever it is. It could be the town, and the town has a long permitting process. Yep. Another one. So it it depends on the properties. And so together, um, it makes a good team to help understand sort of what the market conditions are of this area that they're focused on and then the particular nuances of a building and, and, and the process as well.
2: Yeah, and to jump on that, yeah team aspect is the purpose of a team often, right, is to provide different perspectives. Of course. Right. And so by having a different perspective in the way the team, the real estate team working for a client is thinking about it, that that augments the ultimate uh, success of that deal. And, and I mean, that really is the helpful uh, aspect of that collaboration. So uh,
0: at one at the time of this recording, it's August of 2020. We are give or take, six months into what was and might still be a global pandemic. And there's been a lot of debate in our industry of what that means for the market. And I know there's been a lot of discussions and questions about how to create a safe work environment. So, Ted, I'd be interested to hear what you and the team are talking about and how to best provide a how to best provide recommendations and service to your clients and how to create a safe working environment
2: thanks so the most important thing is to you know first everybody wants to follow your cdc your local municipality uh guidelines um the next component of that would be from um, a type of work, a type of office, um, whether it's for your staff or whether it's for your business, uh, what's the impact of working from home that many people are versus working in an office environment? People are losing whether it's collaboration, sure. time together, yeah. or it's you know, introduction or uh, working with um, you know new uh, new people or business partners. If what we're finding, if clients can successfully work from home, they are choosing to continue to work from home uh, many of which might work successfully many of which um, have adapted all sorts of new technology and such that you hear about the you know the, what will be the, the leader obviously a vaccine would would be a game changer for, for course, many and how yeah. they're thinking about it but there there are certain uh, applications uh, one such as a buoy health back-to-work app that um, you know helps, from a classification and a symptom checking and, um, you know, algorithmic perspective of can I get a pass to go to work today? And in that scenario, uh, employer might have an office that can seat 60 and maybe based on a guideline they can have 15 people in that office yeah. on that day. Well, even if I'm completely healthy, it might tell me, nope, you stay home today. Interesting. Uh, okay. And scenarios like that, using technology um, through whether it's symptoms or how you get to work or... Um, you know other applications are 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 what will help drive people in the in between time yep. um, sure there 's the face masks there 's evaluating the, the floor plan there 's thinking of you know where's where 's the right intersection point that people are going to hit, and how do you mark that there's there 's a lot of work that you could do within an existing plan if a client or if a tenant actually feels the real need that they have to have more people in the office um, What what we're seeing in the lab space is that lab has never been able to leave. So they've figured out really early how to still have the correct PPE and still figure out on a shift to get people into those environments. Uh, We heard in many cases where public transportation had been a means to get to work uh, that some companies were actually hiring private bus companies (laughs) to collect people to then bring them to the office. Because what, what you're hearing is that people feel very safe at home and people actually feel genuinely pretty safe in the office. It's the in between, and getting from home to the office that's a bit of the challenge. And right. how do you navigate that period during this, um, during this stretch? Uh, but there is a, there are an abundance of uh, approaches or methods that one could use if their office environment needs to come back. Uh, and you know, I think working with your team, at Kelleher and Sadowski, we'd figure that out. Um, Quite, quite efficiently. I happen to agree. Phil, we, we, everyone
0: flew again after 9-11. So I think eventually people will feel more comfortable not just in the office but on the way to the office. It might take a vaccine, it might take some other yeah. uh, preventative measures. Wh- where do you see the office market going? Do you have thoughts on where we could be headed or, or, or other types of real estate?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think there's sort of two phases to this. Maybe there's, you know, first phase has an A, B, and a C. It's, it's first re-entry into, into the space, right? Yep. So how do we re-enter? And right now it's, you know, a percentage of the workforce. So not a lot of people going in. But there's going to be, a, you know, that'll gradually increase. So I think companies are trying to figure out what's that re-entry look like between now and then. And then once, call it, you know, post-vaccine, what does the workspace look like right and what does that do to real estate right what does that do to space and so i think what's going to happen is and i'm an optimist that that it's going to create this new flexibility for for employees to they've figured out how to work from home yep. they've already been working from an office setting and now they're going to have this flexibility about going into the office not at the certain the same time every day, right? So the commute will be different. They won't go in there every single day. Um, and so I think having flexibility is going to actually boost morale. It's going to boost productivity because people feel like they have more, um, uh, they, you know, they are able to take control of their own, you know, destiny every single day as opposed to before where, you know, I did the same thing. I'd wake up at 530, race to the office to beat the traffic, go work out and go to my desk, right? Right. And so I don't have to do that anymore. And so there's, some, there's sort of this relief. So I think what's that, what's that going to do to space? I'm not necessarily sure, but space is going to look very different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and my sense is it's going to, going to be a lot of unassigned seating. Um, it's going to be cleaned regularly, and you'll go in and out when you need to. And then really good collaboration space and meeting space so that when you have to have meetings, um, it's going to be very effective. There's going to be really good technology associated with it too so people can, can beam in. And so does that mean it's more space or less space? I, I, don't, you know, I don't think anyone knows that quite yet. But I think the way we're going to work is going to be very different. But I also see right now a lot of my clients are saying that a majority of the people want to stay home but I think it's because we're still in this pandemic right. kind of, you know, place and they haven't figured out the daycare. They haven't. Figured, I mean, there's other things that are going on in their life. Of course. So it's just easier to say, I'm just going to stay home. Public transportation is, is another issue. So yeah. uh, I'm hoping that, um, you know, it doesn't take as long as some people are saying, uh, but I think it's going to drag on for a while and, um, and it's going to put space back on the market in the short term for sure.
2: Well, the, uh, I mean, the interesting thing on, uh, conversations around density, right? In the, yeah, it's always a pendulum in um, in cubes in the eighties, you know, it was high cubes and then back down to low cubes and then, and then that it's, it's kind of creeping back up, right? So in the pendulum of density is, uh, we were approaching essentially the, the densest office environments have been. And, if people are going to maintain an office they are going to require a, a you know higher rate so that they're uh, able to uh, actually have more people come back to right. an office to work so it'll be an interesting even if people are still working from home in that environment that user which would which was contracting might ultimately have to maintain or grow uh and so I, I, if you can if you can run the scenario cards down each kind of spectrum, you can find yourself talking into a corner about every scenario about how it could work. And um, you know, I think what we'll find is the way you can be adaptable, the way you can be quick, nimble, get into the nitty-gritty of uh, what the client really needs, what the space really can do, uh, that's where uh, I think the real value is going to pan out. So. You know, um,
1: again, having been here for a couple weeks now yeah. and having everyone in the office here, um, and we're maintaining social distance, and so we're doing all the right things, and we've set up the space really well, the human interaction, the the impromptu kind of meetings and collaboration we, we have here is fantastic. And yeah. I, think in, I think a lot of companies are missing that right now, and so I love being back in the office. Um, it's been it been it's been really great. So I think that's what's going to happen. People are going to realize that, yeah, it was it was okay at home, but now being in the office and all those, you know, uh, relationships that they used to have, now they can. I
0: build I totally them. agree. You know, I think our business depends on that, and I think a lot of companies are in are in a similar position. You know, I, my, my dad worked for IBM. He worked from home for fifteen years. He's since left the company. But IBM, who sort of was the innovator in the work-from-home idea, so they started about 10 years ago, 5, 10 years ago, calling people back to some regional offices because yeah. not, that, not that people aren't productive when they work from home. Most people want to do a good job and, and work hard. Uh, it's more you miss out on that collaboration, company culture, synergy. That all, I think, really does get lost mm. sometimes when everyone's at home. So I totally agree with you there, Phil. Just staying on the pandemic just for just another moment here. We had an interesting conversation when, when we had our luncheon earlier today. And the, the idea of changing due to the pandemic where companies, particularly in biomed or life science, may not want to rely on uh, a supply chain that's global. They may want to have a supply chain that's more local so what are what are we seeing in the Boston in, in general Massachusetts market? Are are firms starting to or thinking about bringing some of their manufacturing here? Where are they looking? How does that what does that look like? Yeah,
2: from a, a big theme perspective, um, the supply chain constraints are very real. Uh, that's in as much in biomanufacturing of. Um, Product and substance, as it is in even construction materials. Oh, sure. uh, And and having things more regionally located. Um, For instance, uh, office walls or you know storefronts, as people call them. A lot of that frequently comes out of uh, Canada and comes down, or maybe it comes from western uh, parts of the country. And those types of companies are going to. They'll want to have something that's in a closer proximity, even yep. even Worcester or uh, South Shore between Rhode Island or Mass. Um, the concept of um, warehouse space is—you can read in the paper at any day uh, what Amazon or any of the other big bucks, uh, you know, stores are trying to change or adapt to. Um, the kind of last-minute mile approach is going to start hitting all the major segments for us. And that could be manufacturing, it could be warehousing, it could be production, it could be assembly. Um, if you think of construction, if the pandemic or if the virus is going to linger in the market for a, a period of time longer than we think, the concept of having more prefabricated components come to a project site will become more real to have right. it um, continue with its work. So there's, you know, there's a... Anywhere on the spectrum, there's a variation of uh, what types of businesses will be looking for that type of um, return to the kind of local markets and your local geography.
1: You now, the the two asset classes that are doing particularly well
2: right now, one is
1: the warehouse distribution yep. market, and and life science, right? So, yep. life science hasn't changed; people are still at work. Oh, sure. Um, I think we're going to see more contract manufacturing and the you know biomanufacturing come closer to, you know, Cambridge and Boston and, you know, be along 495 and in Worcester in a, in a, really big way. Um, and then on the, on the warehouse distribution side, that's doing extremely well. So what that means is we're going to see the, the adaption or the, you know, renovation of properties going into it, into something else, right? So it could be a retail center becomes more of a, uh, you know, life science, or it could be, you know, maybe warehouse distribution. As a, as a, it wasn't that before, so I think we're going to see that a lot. We're going to see these readapt, you know, or renovations or revitalization of these properties yeah. into, into something else.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, the utilities exist, right? And obviously, if you're going to add more manufacturing, I'm sure a power utility of that sort might might need to increase. But in, in an adaptation scenario, um, you know, there's there's a frequent conversion concept of the, you know, malls that are the C malls or the B malls that have gone belly up in other parts of the country that yeah. get converted. Yeah. Um, so We've using, seen it here. Yeah. yeah. Using, using that as the, the model or as an example, right, That it, take that into a smaller scale at different times, and that will be a continued theme, I think, over the next set of years. Um,
0: Certainly very interesting times. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for your time today. Phil, every time we speak, I learn something new. <laughs> and Ted, you and your team coming to the office today was great. I certainly learned a lot from our conversation here and our luncheon earlier. I know the k and team did as well. So I'd like to thank you both for your time today. Chris, yeah, thank you really, so much. really appreciate, Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. So that concludes yet another episode of the Worcester Real Estate Podcast. This podcast is presented by Kelleher and Sadowski, the premier brokerage, commercial brokerage firm in all of central Massachusetts.